Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 336 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about the world of writing and publishing. I'm Valerie Koo, CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. And I'm here with my co-host, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cipher series. How are you, Al? I'm okay, Val. Fair that's to middling. good. Fair to middling. <laughs> fair to middling. What's probably on, on the upside world? of fair to middling. Oh, probably. well, that's good. I yeah, like that. Well, you know, mm. it's, it's just, you know, it's a week. The sun is shining. Yes. The birds are singing. Procrasty yes. Pup is He's winning adorable. hearts and minds on oh, Instagram. He is. He's so cute. Oh, my <laughs> He had his birthday and nearly broke Instagram with his oh, little puppy photo. And then so I uh, popped up a photo of him last week looking gorgeous in the autumn shades. And mm. uh, he was just, you know, he loves it. What can I he say? Well, I love Instagram it. He doesn't actually account. know. Well, well, no, because yeah. then I'd lose yes, you know, that's right. traction on mine. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be a big, he would be a bigger star than I am within the space of a week. I don't think I could cope with that kind of competition from my dog. I um, realised that that was the case in my situation with my cat Rex when one day he walked across the keyboard and accidentally tweeted and his tweet got more response than mine. I yeah. Think, look, all I think that says just everything about anyone ever needs to say about you know <laughs> Twitter and the internet and what people are actually looking for out there on the internet, don't you think? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. Okay. So our pets are more popular than we are. Yeah, but whatever. We can live with it, right? At least it gives us something to do and something to talk about on social media. Like I always say to people, they're like, I don't know what to, you know, I don't know what to put on my Instagram. Have you got a pet? Put your pet on Instagram. Yes, yes. <laughs> now, of course, your book is coming out in a couple of months. Very, very exciting, The Fire Star. But you're already writing your next one with hashtag write a book with Al. Well, How's I am. That I'm back. Like, you know, like it's, it's, this one's been a little bit interesting because generally speaking, I, you know, start a project. I work on it relentlessly. I finish a project. Um, mm. But this time around, it's I think it's been to do with, you know, the fact that everyone's been at home in my house. That hasn't helped me. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, COVID and the world being in uproar. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of reasons why, but it's really been not you know, not my usual kind of way of going about things. But anyway, I'm back and uh, I've written probably, I don't know, three or 4,000 words this week. So I'm I'm feeling, you know, a bit more sort of at home uh, within the story. It's just taken me a really long time to find the thread this time. But um, anyway, I'm back. So if, and if, you're, are many people if you've been looking for me, I'm back. Pardon? Mm. Are many? Are there many people writing a book without? Like, are people oh, following there, along? There is a there is a, a good core group there that I think you know. Unfortunately, I let them down by disappearing for a week or so. Oh. Um, but I have returned, and you know, okay. my mighty troops. I'm back, waving my sword above my head, can, ready can just... to take on. We shall never surrender, and all that. <laughs> I'm there, can, brave. In heart. case there are some new listeners, can you just give? That's a little quick summary of what hashtag write a book with Al is. Well, all write a book with Al is that Al sits down to write a book. And if you would also like to write a book, you may also like to sit down and write the book. Um, and I post my word count, you know, or lack thereof 
<laughs> Sometimes I'll just put up a photo of ProcrastiPop in an attempt to distract you from the fact that I had a zero word count. Um, but I post my word count uh, on Facebook each day, and if you and you know you may also post your word counts or tell us how you're going. Mm. It's it's kind of more about camaraderie than anything else. It's yeah. about it's about sort of like getting together with a group of people who are also working on a project, um, a writing project. And, um, yeah, that's it. There's no pressure. There's no you must write, you know, 1,500 mm. words a day. There's none of that. It's just we're doing this. Do you want to join us? So, you know, if, if you're looking for sort of um, accountability and tribemanship, mm. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to describe Camaraderie it. is the Camaraderie. Right if you're just looking for friends to write with, come come join us. Yeah. yeah, just search for hashtag write a book with Al. But you, yep. does it go it's for It's on Alison certain... Tate Writer. I, it's mostly on Facebook. Um, okay. Sometimes, you know, on Twitter as well, but mostly this time on Facebook. I, only because it allows people to um, comment underneath, like it just keeps all of the all mm. of the sort of daily discussion together. I just find that Facebook is, is better for that. Um, sure. So I'm mostly doing it on Facebook, yeah. But does it go for a certain time period or is it interminable? No, it's just until I finish writing the book, which at the oh. rate I'm – at, at the rate I'm going could be a year. Um, usually it's <laughs> usually it's about six to eight weeks because that's about how long it takes me to get a first draft together. Um, but this one is is we're just let's just say we're having a more relaxed pace this time around. <laughs> <laughs> now these kinds of things are really good, and there's also you know like um, thirty day challenges and stuff like that. One thing that I've been doing, albeit not as daily as I should, but hey, that's okay. I'm not going to be too hard on myself, is hashtag the 100-day project. Oh, yeah. And I believe that probably the rest of the world's around day 70 and I'm still probably on day 44 or something, but that's okay. (laughs) You're still there. I'm still doing it. (laughs) But but I did kind of go hell for leather um, in the first, say, around 30 days uh, and keep up a little bit more. And as you say, it is about accountability because you've kind of told the world that you're participating in this initiative. So you have to produce something and report on it just as you are reporting on how many words that you are generating each day. And it's so useful because, um, and I want to tell this story to show that there is a real result apart from writing more words or creating more, you know, whatever it is. So with the with hashtag the 100-day project, it could be anything creative. It could be photography. It could be writing. It could be, I suppose it could be dancing if you want it to be. Um, it could be art. It could be whatever, you know, ma- making music. Um, you can choose what you want to do for your 100-day project. So one of the things that I wanted to do was create artwork and designs. And so I made sure I did that on a – real kind of daily basis <laughs> close to daily basis and um uh after about 30 days I realized wow this is um really useful and you really do get into the momentum and swing of things and but more importantly just as when you write enough words you have a novel after a certain period I had enough for a portfolio because one of my goals last year and then I got waylaid by many other things is I really wanted to um have wallpaper as in have my designs on wallpaper yeah and so I realized after 30 days I have enough for a portfolio so I created a portfolio and I probably created it about three weeks uh, no four weeks ago or thereabouts and then a week after that I started sending it out and I'm very very excited to say that I have 
two collections of wallpaper coming out with a major Australian wallpaper designer. You do in not. the spring. That is fantastic. I'm very excited. But it's it you. Of, you the, are the point... expanding and exploding in all directions. <laughs> I'm not sure I can keep up with this. <laughs> but the point is that it takes that momentum. It takes, you know, volume and frequency. And if you um, participate in a challenge like this, even if it's a challenge to yourself, but I must admit when I do it with a challenge to myself, I get distracted. I, I'm not accountable to anyone. This is yeah. I, because I had to be accountable to other people in the 100-day project, it made me produce these things and you end up with a really good result. So, yes. Um, well, that's right. I mean, I, I totally agree. And it's one of those things, like write a book with Al, as I say, it's been fits and starts and I've been all over the place. But I have also within that, I've got, I've written 10,000 words. Like it's not yeah. like nothing's happened. It's like it's, yeah. it's been bit by bit by bit and it's been like frustrating for me because I'm not, you know, kind of doing the usual things that I do. But um, I've still got – I've got 10,000 words that I w- wouldn't have had if I hadn't sort of, you know, started this. I would probably still be sitting here thinking about what this book was going to be. So it, it does – the accountability thing does really work and and if you have to think about it as just drops in a puddle and the puddle gets bigger mm. and bigger and bigger and before you know it as you say you've got a portfolio and a wallpaper collection like what very exciting very exciting, <laughs> very exciting. anyway that's out in spring <laughs> all right no. now if you told me like two years ago <laughs> that you would have a wallpaper collection at this point i, I would have been like what in what universe? Yeah, a bit different. Anyway, you know what? We, we need to do a picture book, Val. We need to. We need to. Okay. We need to collaborate. <laughs> sure. Let's break out. <laughs> we want to give a big shout out to Chopper. How Aussie is that, Chopper? Pretty Aussie. <laughs> Chopper has left us a review about the podcast and has said, there's a tribe out there. I discovered your podcast a few years ago when my last child went off to school. A journalist and unpublished author, I was so excited to get back to work but found myself flailing, unsure about my skills after a long break raising children and feeling the self-imposed pressure to start earning money to help support my family. Discovering your podcast helped ease me through that transition and continues to inspire me as I pursue my lifelong dream of becoming a published author. I found conversation identified with an author interviews that reassured me this long journey to publication was not an indication I was incapable, but simply the nature of the beast. Through the podcast, I discovered the online courses at the Australian Writers' Centre and completed several. And and Chopper goes on to talk up um, uh, about how that, that has benefited um, her. And she says, I'm a, I officially call myself an author now. Oh, because wow. she said she's, she's uh, got, had a little very... I have now self-published ancient... three books, two of which serve As fundraising well. purposes. Hello. Been invited yes. to hold author talks at libraries. And as Victoria went into lockdown, was offered representation from a literary agent. So that's fantastic. Yes. Yes. Before starting work, I hook up to your podcast to walk with and be inspired by my virtual tribe. Thank you for your inclusive, fun and inspiring conversation and all the additional resources that come out of it. Please keep it up. From Chopper. (laughs) Thanks, Chopper. Thanks, Chopper. That's awesome. I don't think also, though, that you can assume Chopper is female. Well, that's true. Sorry. Yeah, I don't think we can make that assumption at all. Yes, yes, that's right. I'm sorry about that. So maybe you are not. And um, yes, 
You are, you are correct. So thank you, Chopper. We really appreciate it. Um, and it's great to get that feedback as well. So, yeah. If you, if any other listeners have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or your uh, player of choice, we'd really appreciate it because it helps us in the rankings. Now, Alison, you have been kind of busy this week on your website. Oh, yes, I finally finished. Everybody, (laughs) I've been talking about this for like, it's a bit like my book. It's been going on for decades. Um, But uh, the the new, you know, design of my website is is out there. And uh, I think it, look, the thing I wanted from this this redesign, it's quite an interesting, um, it's been quite an interesting one for me because what I, what I really wanted actively and this is what I sought was functionality and it's an interesting mm. thing because I think um, often we get caught up with the with the design the form etc um, of the of the website and not that mine haven't been functional in the past but um, I I just really needed to get some clarity around mm. you know what I was doing what I was offering who I was how I was, you know, presenting myself. Um, and I think that this new, uh, this redesign has really helped to do that. Um, I think it just makes it, you know, for no matter what reason you may come to my website and people do come to my website for a range of different reasons. Um, I think it's quite easy to find exactly what you're looking for. And yes. I think that's been, um, something that I've really struggled with. Like, this is a 10 year project we're talking here and it will <laughs> change. It will change again. Like I've, mm. I've, I've had, you know, my blog and then my website, you know, for 10 years. Um, And it has changed, you know, morphed and evolved over those years. So I think it's really important to remember that a an author website is a work in progress yeah. and it's always going to need updating. It's always going to need changing. Um, so obviously the the kicking off point for this particular redesign was my new book coming out. And yes. just, you know, Really, I mean, you know, I, I've got seven middle grade books now. I think we can safely call me, you know, a middle grade author. Yes. Um, whereas, you know, prior to this, I, you know, I have also written nonfiction books. I've also done, you know, journalism. I've also done, you know, lots of different things. Um, and so as I've kind of evolved and my writing uh, career has evolved and morphed and evolved um, over time, I've had to just tweak and, and, you know, change direction slightly as things have gone on. So this is the right branding for me right now and it also allows people to find all the other things that I do as well um I've got a section on there for kids you know writing tips writing courses um frequently asked questions because I do get questions over and over again resources for people who want to go further into the kinds of worlds um that my books you know that where from where I've created my books I've got you know, many groups and communities and things um, around these days. Um, mm. So I wanted to put together a section to make it easy to find those. So, you know, whether you're looking for your kids next read, your own next read, the so you want to be a writer podcast community, mm. you know, it's easy to find them and you can see that these are all things that I do. Um, I have obviously a section for writers, which is, you know, obviously features our book, the podcast, the 8 billion, you know, writing blog posts that I have on the website courses. Mm. So yeah, I just wanted to 
make it easier because there's an awful lot of content on that website. Yes, um, there and is. So it's a wealth of I, information. It is. And I just wanted to make it easier, like 10 years worth of blog. I've got over a thousand blog posts mm. on that website. Um, so I wanted to make it easy for people to find what they're looking for. So I'm pretty sure that's what it's done. It's got a new author photo of me on the front where I, th- I feel like I look like I'm about to burst into a country song. Yeah, um, <laughs> it looks great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and so you know, I'm. I it, it's sort of just about updating, um, you know, the various things and making them easy to find. That's what this website is all about. And I think that um, Robin from Digital Lemonade has done a really good job of helping me to work that out because the only way for you to to make it easy for people to find things is for you to think really seriously about who's coming to your website, what they're looking for, and how to organise your navigation. Um, so mm. to do that, you actually have to go through and create a sitemap for yourself, um, which I've never really done before. I've always just sort of like cobbled bits together and we've added stuff in. Like that's what's been happening over the years is um, I'm very blessed. I have a great, you know, group of friends. Kelly Exeter is one. Anna Spugger mm. Ryan is one. They're very, very good at website design and organisation. And over the years, they've, they've been part of my team. And, you know, we have, you know, added stuff and done stuff and whatever. Um, and this time I decided what I needed um, because, you know, my friends love me dearly, but they really don't want to do this again. Um, I, what I needed was a third party. I needed someone who had never really seen the website before mm. to go, you probably don't need that. Great you idea. probably don't need that. You actually yeah. need this. Yeah. So it's been good. Anyway, have a look, alisontate.com. Let me know what you think. It's excellent. And if you were to burst out in a country song, what would it be? <laughs> oh, do you know what? It's really funny that you asked me that. Um, yes. It'd be something. It'd be Harper Valley PTA, oh my Jolene. God. It'd oh, be, yes. oh, look, I could honestly right now, I could go through and give you a million because <gasps> I've been listening to this podcast called oh, Cocaine and Rhinestones. And oh. so I started off by watching the, there was a country music documentary series on SBS and okay. I started watching that, and it basically was the history of country music in the U.S. from the beginning, like Carter Family Songbook all the way back, wow. and, you know, Bluegrass, where it all came from, how it all came to be, and it went all the way through to, uh, you know, you know, beyond well beyond Johnny Cash. Um, Garth Brooks, mm-hmm. I think, even made, a, made an appearance. Um, anyway, so it was really quite interesting. Like, I, I'm really interested in music and the yes. evolution of that sound I thought was fascinating. Mm. So anyway, then I came across this podcast. So I started by looking at history podcasts and it took me into the first one I, I listened to was one called Mogul, which was actually all about hip hop. And it was oh. all about a producer in hip hop. And it was fascinating. Mm. Um, and then this other one, Cocaine and Rhinestones, came up as a you know suggested thing. And I thought, oh, you know, how bad can it be? I had to listen mm. to it. It's so good. It's like it's a it's it's um it started out like it was obviously a guy. His name's Tyler Mayen Co or something like that, and he's the son of someone who's like a country music outlaw. Um, and he he's obviously his first one. He was quite nervous with the whole thing. He's got better and better and better as it's gone through, but he tells the stories behind you know, the people involved in country um, music and oh, the stories cool. behind the songs and the stuff. And it is so good. I have just enjoyed so much. Like, you know, even if you're not interested in country music on any level, which to be honest, I never really have been before, um, right. you will enjoy this because the, it's the 
the stories behind it and the, the personalities involved in, you know, various, you know, aspects of country music, just fascinating. So as I've been walking Procrastipop over the last couple of weeks, I've just been binging country music. Um, wow. Okay. I know, random. Can, and can so you hear the enthusiasm in Alison's voice? She is more than fair to middling, obviously, when it comes to this topic at the moment. Well, wow. it's just I. Yeah, well, I'm just sort of it, – it's just inter- – I mean, songwriting has always interested me and I think um, because I find – I just find it – I think it's like magic, you know, the way people put words and music together. And mm. I think also having my son, you know, who's just decided when he was 11 he would start writing songs and does, mm. um, the way that that works, I, because he will just literally – sit there for an hour one morning and then come out and go, I've written a new song and we'll produce this thing. And I just like, how do you do that? And he goes, well, I just mm. have a, you know, it's it's a really interesting mix of poetry and, mm. you know, ideas and all sorts of things. Um, so I've always been interested in it. So I, you know, I'm looking for, but what I what really interests me is not the technical aspect of it because there's some podcasts out there that are just like, and then they used a G chord and then they, mm. and it's like, mm. the stories behind why songs come about that's what I love and this that's what this particular podcast does anyway so Al's got a new obsession yeah clearly (laughs) it will probably turn up in a in a story somewhere I don't know how but it will all right um let's move on to so I had a really great chat in our creative conversations series on Facebook live uh with Annabelle Barker who is an agent specializing in young adult and children's and picture book authors and uh, you can check it out we'll put the link in the show notes but it's over you can watch the video it's an hour on the Australian Writers Centre blog and it's really great to hear from Annabelle about different trends that are happening in the children's publishing industry but also important things like um, how to pitch to an agent or publisher and some of the big no-nos and you know in terms of trends one of the things she was saying was that um across the across all ages as in picture books and middle grade and YA the growth of non-fiction titles um, mm. so there is an increasing demand and interest in non-fiction titles um, and if you're wondering what I'm meaning by that even like with picture books like Leslie Gibbs recent book Cicadas that's an example of well it's kind of like has non-fiction and fiction in it because there's a story but there's also those there's also little insets or captions about cicadas right yeah. Um, Pamela's book, The Desert Lake, Pamela Freeman's book, The Desert Lake, it's an, an example of nonfiction. So, um, yeah, the nonfiction is, is a real growth area. She's also saying that middle grade novels are dealing with um, more complex issues than before. There's been a real growth in middle grade. not So not just middle grade dealing with complex issues, but just a growth in middle grade generally so that's good news for you (laughs) well Um, no it is and it's interesting too because you know like I have been um as you would know Valerie I have been you know toying with and working through a uh, um you know an idea for a new course about writing middle grade and I'm putting that out there right now here because I need some accountability Accountability. so (laughs) I um I've been working with another um extremely experienced author with the idea of putting a course together about how to write Mm. middle grade so um um, keep an eye out for that, people, because at some point that's going to happen. But it, it is um, it is definitely a growth area, and it's an area that is a lot broader, I think, than many people realise and understand. Mm. Um, mm. But just going back to that nonfiction for a minute as well, um, I did a really great blog post um, a little while ago um, 
about with a, an author called Brenda Gurr, who's an Australian author, which is was all about how to write nonfiction for children mm. because it's quite a specific area. And the thing that I mean, this is this is you know goes just going on from my recent discussion about you know the whole country music and the stories of songs thing. Um, those things, those things that get you excited are the kinds of things that may be a niche topic for a non-fiction book for kids. Yeah. Like I don't quite know how I would work cocaine and rhinestones into non-fiction mm, for kids. No. But you never know. Um, but, yeah, it's um, she She wrote a great guest post for me about how to get started, the kind of research you need to do, right. how you sell your work. So um, it is a growth area and it's definitely something that's worth looking at. But I just think watching that uh, conversation with Annabelle is valuable to anyone who is interested in working with an agent, whether it yeah. be, you know, whether you're interested in children's and YA fiction or not, because it's it gives you an insight into um, it, it's a it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation mm. um, with an author, uh, sorry, mm. with an agent, agent. answering mm. questions. It is information that you need to know mm. about how to pitch, about why you would work with an agent, about all of those different things. And I like watch it because the more first-hand information that you can get in those sorts of areas, you know, from an agent or whatever, the better for you. Yep. Definitely, definitely. So you can watch it yourself. We'll put the link in the show notes um, and uh, definitely give it a go because it's um, really some valuable insights from Annabelle Barker. So another link that we've got on the Australian Writers' Centre blog actually is um, three ways to build good writing habits in your teens, which I mm -hmm. think is um, really, really useful because, uh, you know, I'm big on I, – I loved writing as a teenager and I loved reading and I think that it just really sets such a great foundation for so many things, mm -hmm. not just in reading and writing but in – um, critical thought and um, comprehension and logic and creativity, just it was for so many things. So there's some advice from people who know. Uh, Pamela Freeman is one of them. And she encourages you obviously to read, encourage your teen to read widely. But that also comes not just in reading words on a page. She says reading widely can also come in the form of listening to audiobooks, reading ebooks rather than paperbacks or even video games, well, some video games, with a strong narrative because it's about story, right? It's mm. not just about reading words on a page. It's about understanding a story structure and understanding where, understanding where a story goes. So, mm. um, yeah, it, you don't have to be limited with buying an actual book. Um, and also one thing that uh, Rebecca Lee suggests, and she tutors high school students in English every day, and she says, this is really interesting, she says um, it, it, try and encourage them to build writing into an everyday routine, but you don't have to get them writing a novel or anything. She says that students often tell her that they don't have anything to write about because they don't do anything interesting. <laughs> mm -hmm. So making them write something down helps them to be introspective and realise that they do have something to say. So she says also note down all the times and all the instances in the day that you write. It will be shorter clips of writing in the form of text messages even and Instagram yeah. captions. That's writing and Facebook posts, but it's writing nonetheless, she says. Get them to unpack that and string together a bunch of different posts until it becomes a bigger piece of writing. Mm. So, yeah, definitely um, check that out. I'll, I'll 
since I'll mention the, the, the third one, the other one, is to give thoughtful and useful feedback. She says that it's really important to frame your feedback if you're asked for feedback, that is. Um, and Pamela says, people often don't realise what is good about something. We're our own worst critics. But we also don't realise that we haven't put on the page what we thought we put on the page and that's something not clear to the reader. Specific positive feedback could be saying that their description of a place is very evocative or a piece of di dialogue is hilarious or a specific character is interesting and what makes you want to read more. That kind of feedback will help you demonstrate that you take their writing seriously. You know, as opposed to saying, oh, that was great, darling. Be specific. And well, I think that that's... I, it just, just makes me laugh because my uh, my youngest son, you know, yes. will show me all his bits and pieces and he's hilarious um, but has never met a capital letter that he liked. Like he will literally oh. write an entire essay without a capital letter. Oh, I see. And his, his thinking <laughs> on that is basically that he goes, yeah, I go, why are there no capitals in this? And he's like, well, you don't need them. You understand what I'm saying. He's too lazy <laughs> to put a capital letter in. Anyway, so that's him. And then my oldest son uh, shows me nothing unless it's been finished and marked and he got an wow. A, in which yeah. case he's happy to show it to me. And it's very funny because he's, he's, you know, he's, people say to him, oh, you know, you're so lucky. You've got, you know, your mum's a writer at home. Yeah. And I'm like, no. Nah. <laughs> the pressure. <laughs> oh, pressure. Yeah, seriously. No, anyway. I don't mean pressure from you, but you know what I mean. He's obviously yeah. thinks he's got big shoes to um, fill or to live up to. Oh, no. To. He just <laughs> thinks he doesn't need me, babe. It's all ah. good. All right, so if you're interested in helping your teen learn how to write, there's this fantastic new Teenage Creative Writers Program. It has literally just opened for bookings. There's already people streaming in. And it is a brilliant program specifically designed for high school students to develop their writing skills and to complement their existing studies at school. So it is a 10-week program, but it is very doable. Um, it's it's You don't have to commit massive amounts of time. Uh, you can commit as much time as you want, obviously, but your personal your teen Teen is personally mentored one-on-one -on -one by award-winning author of more than 40 books, Pamela Freeman. So Places Unlimited, go to writerscentre.com.au slash teens to find out more. That's writerscentre.com.au slash teens. Now, Al, very mm. exciting. We have a competition this week. We have three <laughs> copies of To the Lions by Holly Watt. Lions as in the animal that roars, <laughs> to the lions by Holly Watt. A journalist must follow the clues, no matter how far that takes her. Casey Benedict, star reporter at The Post, has infiltrated the lives and exposed the lies. Uh, sorry, has infiltrated the lives and exposed the lies of countless politicians and power players. Tipped off by an overheard conversation at an exclusive London nightclub, she begins to investigate the apparent suicide of a wealthy young British man whose death has left his fiancée and family devastated. Casey's determined hunt for the truth will take her from the glitz of Saint-Tropez to the deserts of Libya and onto the very darkest corners of the human mind. Ooh. Okay. Exactly. You're really good at that. I know. I've been practising. Yeah. If you would like your chance to win one of three copies, go to writerscentre.com.au slash win. That's writerscentre.com.au slash win. Now, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? I am a quiver. <laughs> a quiver. <laughs> That's it. We're, right. We're done. <laughs> Neologism. Neologism. That's N E O L O G I S M. Neologism. 
I like this word no. because when I was watching Orphan Black, they kept referring to the neolutionists or whatever. It was a word that, you know, about the strange people in Orphan Black, which is a bit sci-fi. But neologism, this refers to a new word or phrase or the introduction of new words and phrases. So it comes from neo-new and I think logos is Greek for words. So you might say these neologisms will only be popular for a few years and then I predict they will die out. Right. There you go. Okay. So that is the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1. This course is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Here's what Astrid Schultz says. I'd always loved writing, but it had taken a bit of a backseat while I was working in film and pursuing my career. And I tried a few times to, to write a different story, but I usually would get stuck around 20 to 25,000 words. And I didn't know or have the tools to kind of continue with that process to see the manuscript through. So that's what really led me to looking at a course to push through to the end. So the first course that I signed up was for creative writing stage one. It was just a great starting point of Acknowledging that this was something I wanted to take seriously, it was something that I was investing my time into. The things I found most useful about Creative Writing One was actually being in a classroom environment with other people who had the same desires and aspirations to be published as I did. So it also gave me a wonderful network. It was just this really wonderful time where you know you set aside certain hours a week and you would go into this very supportive environment and learn about something that you're extremely passionate about. So you get to keep that community alive through the Facebook groups to have to support you through your writing career. I enrolled in several courses at the Australian Writers' Centre and each one gave me some sort of knowledge or skill or advice that I didn't know about whatever the topic was, whether it was creative writing in general, how to write a novel, how to write history, mystery or magic. And it really kind of gave me this general understanding and base for going out into the world with my manuscripts and hoping to get published. I did envision myself being a published author ever since I was a young kid. And I'm so excited to say that I am a published author. If you'd like to find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. All right, so Al, who is our writer in residence this week? Well, we have quite an exciting writer in residence this week. Um, I did an interview all the way from Brooklyn with um, with E. Lockhart, who is an international best-selling YA author, and uh, it was we had a great old chat. It was you know morning. I was drinking coffee, and I don't, um, you know maybe she was drinking wine. I have no idea <laughs> because it was evening there, um, but it was really great. So I'm going to just read out the intro to her here and well then we'll get straight into it because um you know I didn't want to waste her time from Brooklyn. <laughs> All right, are you ready? Sure. We're going live and local in my best radio voice. Go. 
Emily Lockhart is the author of eight YA novels, including the best-selling We Were Liars and The Disreputable History of Frankie Landau Banks, a Michael L. Prince Award Honor Book, a finalist for the National Book Award, and recipient of the Sybils Award for Best Young Adult Novel. She has a doctorate in English Literature from Columbia University and has taught composition, literature, and creative writing. Her books have been translated into 10 languages, and her new YA novel, Again Again, is out now. Let's have a listen to Emily Lockhart. Welcome to the program, Emily Lockhart. It's very exciting to have you here. Um, Now, before we get into your new novel, Again, Again, which is just out um, in Australia at the moment, um, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Can you tell me how your first novel came to be published? Well, I was a graduate student in... um, English and comparative literature, and I was really unhappy. Um, I had entered graduate school at the kind of peak of um, enthusiasm in that field for uh, deconstruction and postcolonial theory. And I had sort of imagined that I would be immersing myself completely in the novels of Charles Dickens and instead found myself immersing myself in the theories of Lacan and uh, and I was um, looking for some other path for myself um, much as I respect people who love to do literary theory I am not one of them okay and so I began writing a middle grade, at least as we call it in the States, novel, you know, for maybe eight to 12 year olds in collaboration with my father, who is a playwright, and he had not written a novel for young people either. And we um, alternate, we mapped out a a story and we alternated chapters and um, we somehow managed to get it published. It was a very long road to find an agent and another long road to get a project that I had wanted to write, um, that I'd written a proposal for, rejected. And finally, she sold this very oddball, co-authored novel to an editor who I've now done eight books with. Oh, and, wow. and so that kind of got me going um, as a published writer of stuff for for young people um and then it started out with middle grade for young adults yeah Mm -hmm. okay and yeah so my my stuff for younger kids is not out in australia only my yeah so why did you move up from middle grade to to ya then like was it just uh um that the the ideas you were having were going to be more suitable for an older audience or like what, what what do you see as the difference between that sort of writing for that middle grade audience and then writing, you know, YA, the sort of thing you're writing now? Well, I actually still write middle grade um, and picture books um, under the name Emily Jenkins, um, but they're not, they're not around for your audience. It's um, very natural for me to write for more than one age group and to write in more than one genre. And this is not a great way to launch a career. it's, uh, you know, much more strategic if you have some kind of clear audience and clear genre or 
or brand or style. Um, and you can write your first couple books at least in one mode and then branch out after that if you find some success. But I did not do that. I actually published five books and had basically no career because I was all over the map. I published a book of essays. I published two picture books. I published that middle grade and I published a novel for adults. And I was just like, how is it that I have five books and no career? And um, the answer is pretty obvious because they were all for different audiences and none of them had particularly been popular. And so I was kind of desperate, I guess. I was trying to write another adult novel and I couldn't figure it out. And my editor had left publishing anyway, so there was nobody who was waiting for it. And I called up my agent and I said, I don't think I can write this book. It's the wrong book to be writing, but I would just like to write anything you can find me work doing. Like I would ghost write a cookbook or an advice book, or I would... Um, there's a lot of, you know, um, writing for hire for like children's series, like for television tie-ins and things like that. I was just like, as long as it's writing, if you can find me work, I will do it. And she said, I'll call you back in a week. And she called me back and she said, I have something much better for you than, than writing for hire or ghostwriting. There's a, an editor who's read your adult novel at Random House, and she's looking for something very specific that I think you can do, and she would be psyched to hear from you. And she, the editor was looking for um, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, but much like edgier and cheekier. Right. And so I, um, I wrote a book called The Boyfriend List, and, um, and I sold that to my U.S. publisher for a two-book deal. And that was the first time I ever had a two-book deal. And I was a little nervous because I didn't really know how I felt about writing for teenagers. But once I began to do it, it was very clear that I was doing the best work that I had ever done, that this was better than anything I had written, and that um, I was really in my element. And that book found a nice audience and had a bunch of international sales and um, kind of launched me into writing for young adults, which became an audience that I care so much about. What do you think then, like you said that, you know, you felt like you'd really found your sweet spot with YA. What do you mm -hmm. think is the key to that? Like, what's the key to getting it right? Is it the voice that you love, the themes, the language? What is it about it? Well, I do think that one of the things that's so amazing about writing teenage female identified characters is that, you know, linguists know this, it's common that um, language changes start with young women and that um, they are the early adopters of all kinds of slang and changes in usage that happen um, in language. and. So I really love kind of creating an idiolect or a, a very specific um, vocabulary and mode of speech for the characters that I write. And that is something that is, you know, not unique to um, teenage female characters, but, um, but specific to them. Um, you know, it is uh, uh, definitely part of what people do in real life and, and something that you can tap and play with 
in YA fiction. So yeah, it's a lot of it is about about voice, but it's also just to me, it's, this is such a fascinating time of life. People who are young adults are separating from their families of origin. They are suddenly able to earn money, to drive cars, to vote. They are suddenly sexual and might have sexual relationships. They begin to question the institutions alongside with the family that raised them, like the church or the sports team or the school. And they begin to become themselves, right, as separate from all those things that shaped them in childhood. So this is like the most fascinating time of life to me. And I love to write about it. Fair enough. So what's your writing process? Are you someone who plots everything out in advance? Um, you know, is it taking you two years to write a book? Is it taking you six months? How's, how does your writing process work? Well, I like to pretend at the beginning of a project that it will take me six months, but it always takes me two years in real life. <laughs> um, but I think, oh, this one, this one will be manageable. This one I'm just going to knock out and it's going to be fine. Um, and that is one of the little tricks I use to get myself to write. I think that if you can convince yourself that a project is manageable, then you can sit down every day and work on it. Right. If you say, oh, my gosh, it's going to take me two years to write this crazy project that I'm totally overwhelmed by. Right. Then then you're going to go and watch television or or do something else. So if you think, oh, you know, if I just if I just plot along and I do 500 words or a thousand words a day, I'm going to be fine. Then I'm going to get to the end. This one I really understand. This one is not so hard because of X, Y and Z. Then you suddenly at least come up with, a you know, a rough draft that you can then work on. Right. Um, I forgot the rest of your question. Just uh, <laughs> so you tell yourself it's going to take six months. That's that's a good motivator. What do you do next? Are you are you plotting the whole thing out in advance, or are you someone who comes up with a character and starts writing, or how does it how does the next bit work? Um, I usually come up with a bunch of themes or subjects or milieus or something that I think are interesting, and like with again again. For example, I knew that I was interested in trying to write about how hard it is to see somebody that you are romantically involved with. Maybe you're obsessed and crushing on someone or maybe you're actually deeply involved. But either way, it's really hard to see that person accurately because you see them through the lenses of your fantasies, of your wounds, of your neuroses, of your issues and your baggage. And so I was thinking about how I could write about that, you know, pretty universal experience of kind of misapprehending the desired object um, in a way that would feel true and fun and also be romantic. Um, so I knew that was a theme of mine. And at the same time, I just kind of felt that all these art exhibits that I'd been like saving pamphlets from um, somehow went together with this. I didn't know why or how it was going to go together. And it ended up that these art exhibits become a big part of the heroine's kind of emerging consciousness and understanding of of identity and self and creativity um, that she's struggling with um, as she goes on the journey of the novel. So 
I knew that those two things went together, but it was like a collage. Like I didn't know how they were, you know what I mean? I, I put them together and I started chopping them up into bits, but I didn't know how they were going to start to relate to each other until I began actually writing. Okay, so let's talk about again again because I um, have I haven't quite finished it yet, so I can't talk about the ending, which is probably not a bad idea. But um, I yeah yeah no I've been reading it, and I'm reading it. You know, obviously you always read as a writer, and I'm reading it, and the whole time I'm thinking to myself, how is she keeping all of this straight? Because of course here you are, you know, playing with structure and character and narrative, and there's a a lot of different things going on and as you talk about the journey you know Adelaide is the main character you're talking about her journey through the book well she has you know several um I was actually describing it to my family at dinner last night saying I was interviewing this morning and my youngest son who's 13 is like so is it a choose your own adventure book and I'm like not quite (laughs) (laughs) but there is that sense of it so I you know how did you maybe tell us a little bit about that you know structure and and how you manage that as far as the writing of the book went well, I, I do not recommend writing your books this way, no. but if what I did was, um, well, I work in Scrivener and I wonder if people, you know, you've done so many interviews on your podcast, um, if, if other people have talked yeah. about the Scrivener software. Yeah, we have a lot of fans of Scrivener. There's a, there's yeah. a big Scrivener community, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and if you haven't tried it, there's a free trial for a month. So you can have a go and really get to know the program and see if it works for you without um, any financial investment. Um, so Scrivener lets you see your work from kind of a bird's eye view. Uh, uh, that's one of its many functions so that you can kind of see the big chunks of your plot and maybe your subplot and you can color code things, but then you can also move them around as if you are moving index cards on a table and you're actually moving the whole chunks of your novel around. So I now write all my books in Scrivener, um, at least for several drafts. Um, and that really allows me to write a book like Again Again, which takes place in multiple universes, or a book like Genuine Fraud, which is structured backwards, that I don't think I could write without this software, because I can really see the architecture of my plot in a way that I never could using a typical word processing program. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. With, with Again Again, I actually thought that the structure of the book was going to be five, I think actually originally it was six interlocked uh, six stories of Adelaide's summer. So Adelaide has this summer. She comes becomes completely obsessed with this boy named Jack. She's mourning this big family tragedy that's happened with regard to her younger brother that she feels very angry and precarious about. And she's um, living on the campus of this boarding school that's mostly empty. And so there's a lot of time to get super obsessed with this one one boy that she's interested in. And um, I imagined that the best plan for this book was to write six basically short stories about this summer, each of which went from the beginning of the summer to the end, beginning of the summer to the end, beginning of the summer to the end. And this turned out, so I wrote all these different versions and there were certain key events that happened in each story. For example, Adelaide meets Jack at the dog run where she is um, walking um, I think uh, five dogs mm. uh, for for people who are on vacation, um, and she reencounters him at a party. And the things that happen in the party might go differently from story to story. 
and et cetera, et cetera, right? There, and there's another point where he picks her up when she's walking on the street in the rain at night and he picks her up in this car. And other things were different from story to story and the way that each of those scenes went down was different from story to story, but it was still the same party, the same meeting, the same car pickup. This was a terrible book. It was so boring. It was interesting to me as I was writing it because it was basically a formal exercise, but a formal exercise is not a novel. And there's a moment when you have to be like, oh, I have done an interesting formal exercise and nobody will want to read this. <laughs> is that a bad moment? Yeah, it was a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was no fun. I have this wonderful editor and she, you know, most editors, at least in the States, um, write a letter. So they read your manuscript, what the draft that you have decided to turn into them, and they write usually a very long letter telling you everything that's wrong with it and what yeah. they liked, making suggestions for revision. But my editor, Beverly Horowitz, with whom I have worked for many years now, um, does not do this. She calls you up and has you come in and she feeds you some baked goods in her office. <laughs> And uh, gives you like a fancy coffee. And usually my agent comes too, just in case things really go south. My <laughs> agent is there to make sure that she knows what's happening. And then Beverly like talks to me for like two hours. But she, she says things like, well, Emily, it's moving really slow. Oh, right. What can I do there? And then I'm just like, oh. She's like, yeah, there's a lot of repetition. And I'm like, <laughs> And then she just like, that's all she said. And then she just leaves it hanging. And it's up to me to be like, oh, okay, I see that that is now true. And what am I going to do to fix it? It's on me to fix it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. She'll say, oh, I love the character. Oh, I'm really interested in the theme. But like, this is just, what are we going to do about this? And it's me who has to figure it out. You know, and I go home and I fuss and fume and, and, um, you know, have a lot of internal drama. And then eventually, in the case of Again Again, I was like, oh, this is a story that takes place in multiple universes and it needs to be structured like a novel. And that means it needs to, you know, create mystery, create curiosity in the reader, create emotional investment in the reader and rise to a climactic moment and have a twist where you think something surprises you and um, all of that. And I realized that if I could chop up my six stories and create multiple universes um, that you engage with throughout, you could have actually a very classically structured novel in terms of Adelaide's journey from, um, you know, through her, through her misery about what's going on in her family, through her misery about her previous breakup through her obsession with Jack into, you know, a climactic moment through a twist and into a new way of being, um, which is just, you know, that's the structure of a million novels, yeah, right? That's right. Um, yeah. So I realized that I needed to like take my whole thing apart and put it all back together and that it would work much better that way, which was a very painful process. But, um, but then when I was done, I had an actual novel and not a formal exercise. 
Okay, it actually makes sense to me that you wrote each of those stories separately first and then worked out how they went together because I, when I was reading it, I was just thinking, how did she know that she needed to put this? You know, it's, it was that that kind of thing as I was reading it. So it makes sense that you knew everything about each of those stories before you started and then you worked out what the reader needed to know uh, to make a novel, basically. Yes, yeah, yeah I did. The other thing I liked about the narrative was the kind of the way it just unfolds. Like, so you, you open the book and you start reading and you've got all these other universe things happening, you know, up front. There's no real, like, explainer, like, this is why this is happening. It's just kind of here it is and it's up to the reader to get their head around what's going on, which obviously gets easier as it goes because you can start to see the, you know, the, the various things unfolding. But it, it sort of, I feel like it takes a bit of experience to be able to, to trust that the reader will get it. Because I think that that's something with, that often when new writers start out, there's that, that need to make sure the reader doesn't miss anything. And so you're going to explain it to them and you're going to belt them over the head with it often, um, which is pretty much what I did with my first novel. So I'm just wondering, you know, do you think it takes experience to try, to give the reader that trust that they're going to figure it out without you, you know, heavily laboring the point well yes and no I mean I was teaching um, creative writing for children and young adults um, for some years at Hamlin University in this uh, in this program and one thing I noticed my students often had trouble with was actually signposting ah, okay. right? often say like just signpost like don't because people were so often told to um, show, don't tell. Yeah. This is like a chestnut, and it's it has a lot of validity. But um, sometimes emerging writers are so busy showing instead of telling that they don't just say, my parents were divorced and my stepmother was really mean. Yeah. You know, yeah. instead, they're so busy, like trying to make sure that they show that the parents are divorced and show that that mother is mean. And sometimes like there's a whole uh, the stepmother might not be that important. Yeah, honestly, it might be in the way, way background and just like a minor irritant. And if you have to spend a whole lot of pages at the start of your novel showing a that there's a divorce and b that the stepmother is, you know, what or whatever. Um <laughs> You can just weigh your exposition down when you can get through that stuff in two sentences. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? So sometimes you just want to lay it out so that people can then go forward into the meat of the story, right? And so that the, the, the effort that it takes to show, not tell sometimes is really um, hobbling or that's a not the metaphor I want um I don't like that metaphor but uh is um you know constricting or yeah. or um uh not not useful for the writer and so like in this book I wrote a couple of years ago called we were liars the opening of the book is like this is our family we're like this and then we're also like this and this is our issue and we're like this so all right are you ready for our family come on in this is what's going on yeah. you know Yep. That exposition is just laid out on page one from the very beginning of the novel, because if I was trying to show every detail that was laid out in that single page, I would have taken me 30 pages yep. of boring stuff that nobody <laughs> wants to read because it's like, we don't need to know all that. We just need to know the facts so we can get into the real story. So 
Again, again starts with, I, I can't remember what the exact first line is, but I think it says this story takes place in multiple universes, but mostly in two. Yes. Right? So it's saying, here you go. This is the thing that you are going to be dealing with. And yes, it is challenging to then sort out your multiple universes and get oriented and understand yeah. uh, what you're reading. But I don't think there's anything wrong with saying to your reader, here's a signpost so that you know where you are. Okay. Because so you can relax and enjoy the book then. You so know? let's talk about We Were Liars because, of course, that, that one, I mean, you've had a lot of bestsellers and award winners. That one uh, came out in 2014 and it was one of those books that was everywhere like it was big like my I think my uh, son who's now 16 had has it on the shelf as we speak what what do you think it was about that book that struck such a chord I um it's hard for me to say you know um I'm very fond of that book, but I don't know that it's better than Genuine Fraud or better than We Were Liars or better than The Boyfriend List. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's not, at least from my perspective as as creator, like, I can't tell. Okay. You know, uh, it's a romantic tragedy that is definitely a genre that people like. People like to have a good cry. And um, and it is maybe more traditionally romantic than anything else that I have written. Um, but it's also much more stylized than anything I had written up to that point um, in terms of structure and prose style and stuff like that. Um, my later books, um, su you know, subs again, again, and genuine fraud are also very stylized in different ways. Yeah. Um, so I did. I expected that that um, kind of aggressive style, the purple prose of We Were Liars, might be off-putting to a lot of readers, and I'm sure it is to some readers. But I wouldn't have assumed that that book was going to be popular because of that, and because the heroine is also, you know, like a super wealthy Percocet addict heiress, you know, yeah. with a chip on the shoulder. So not everybody's cup of tea. Uh, you know, so I wouldn't, I didn't, I didn't know writing it that it would, it would reach so many readers. I'm just grateful that it did. So in that book, uh, the main character, Katie Sinclair, is, uh, you know, described, well, she's, she's been described as an unreliable narrator. How do you, as a writer, keep that tension for the reader between, you know, trusting that what she's telling you is, is true, but also questioning along the way. I don't think she is an unreliable narrator. I mean, I get this question a lot and you're absolutely correct that many people perceive it that way. But the way I handled it as a writer is that cadence is telling you absolutely honestly, everything that she knows to be true. Right. Okay. Yes. So, to me, I'm never, I'm never breaking that trust with the reader, right? Mm. She's a narrator, and she's going to tell you the truth as she knows it. You find out the truth when she finds it out. That makes sense. Well, that, 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 and that allows the tension without you, as you say, ever breaking trust. So there it is. Um, yeah. So that, I mean, that, that book uh, being such a big success, does expectation 
from on subsequent releases does it add a different kind of pressure to your work these days like do you do you have to think about that as you're writing the book about the success of that book and actually matching it or living up to it or any of those things well i mean a little bit a little bit but um you know Genuine Fraud, which is the book that I wrote after We Were Liars, is kind of a clear thriller. Yeah. So We Were Liars is also a thriller of sorts. Genuine Fraud is definitely a thriller, but it, Genuine Fraud does not have this romantic or tragic um, component to the mm -hmm. story, genre-wise. Um, again, again, kind of flips that and has the romantic and tragic components, but not the thriller element. But truthfully... I just can only write the story that I can I have in my head to write. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I I I um I'm lucky enough to stay employed and and the success of We Were Liars definitely helps me stay employed and and ha you know means that I can um pay my mortgage and stuff. Um <laughs> all the good stuff. <laughs> but uh I I just don't seem to be the type of writer who knows how to do another one but different that is what their writer their readers are going to want. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some writers are wonderful at that. I'd love to read those guys, but you know, and I'll read all you know, everything by somebody who's going to consistently deliver me the same experience over and over if I love that experience. Yeah. But I, it does, I, I'm not good at that. I can't do it. I, you know, I'm sure I would be a much wealthier woman if I could. So why do you write your YA under E. Lockhart, not Emily? Oh, well, Lockhart is my middle name. And um, when I started writing uh, YA, like I said, I had a, a two-book deal. And I'd never had a two-book deal before. And I had five failures, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. I've worked in different fields that were failures. So I was just like, let's put my middle name on this and give it a chance. You know, it's for a different audience than I've written for before. And let me let me get a fresh start. Excellent. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so obviously you're promoting your work at the moment under quite different circumstances to what you would normally um, be doing, given the, the state of the world. How how are you, what sorts of things are you doing to promote the new book that you perhaps wouldn't have been doing you know, had we not been in lockdown and various other things? Well, honestly, you know, here in Brooklyn, New York, where I live, um, and all throughout the U.S., we are really struggling with issues of terrible racial injustice. Yeah. Um, and uh, starting, I think, really fully um, the week that Again Again came out here, um, People in my community and all across the states have been protesting the murder of George Floyd yep. and calling for police reform and other um, reforms to increase the racial justice in the states. Mm. And so I have not done anything. Yeah, fair enough. That is, has been the priority in terms of, you know, um, you know, stuff that I might have been doing on social media, the Instagram lives and yeah. stuff like 
that. I mean, I still had to answer a bunch of blog questions and, you know, the usual kinds of things that you would do um, in any situation. But I just thought, this is way bigger than my book launch. Matters so much more. I would rather protest and use my social media to advance this cause that means so much to me and my neighbors and my friends and my community as a YA writer. Um, so it's been sort of strange. I actually only announced the book on social media yesterday, which was about um, almost two weeks after the book came out. And, um, and I'm not doing a whole lot. Like, yeah. I'm just going to that the book will find its readers and that, um, you know, if that's a slower thing than it might have been otherwise, that's okay. Yeah. I would, I would rather, I would rather have the world be changing in the ways that I hope it is than, than, you know, hit the bestseller list. Fair enough. And, you know, we all have our fingers crossed and, and we're with you on that basically. All right, so we're going to finish up today. Uh, thank you very much for your time. And I just want to finish up with our last question that we ask all of our visiting writers. And that would be your top three tips for aspiring and emerging writers. Oh, thank you for asking. Um, all right, well, my first is, I think I told you that I wrote my first novel together with my father, who is a playwright. Yes. Um, he taught me something that I still say to all my students and still think about on a daily basis as I write my own work, which is just write it stupid. <laughs> and I like write it. Write it stupid means you do not need to worry about writing the great American or the great Australian novel. You do not need to... Um, even worry about writing anything halfway decent. You have something in your head, a scene you're supposed to write, a chapter you're supposed to write, just write the stupid version of it. Just don't even don't even try to do anything more. Don't paralyze yourself with with um this kind of ideas about awesomeness uh, or even competence. Just write the stupid version and later on you will fix it. And maybe actually in the stupid version there'll be something that turns out to be cool that you wouldn't have thought of otherwise, right? But your whole job when you sit down to write is just to write the stupid version of your thing and move on. And this was so freeing to me. So I highly recommend it. Okay. My second favorite tip is kill your grandma. And okay. kill your grandma does not mean kill your real grandma. <laughs> but when you are writing, if you are thinking about what your grandma is going to think or what your dad is going to think or what your partner or your spouse is going to think or what your children are going to think, you are not going to be able to write, especially your YA about maybe sexual things or murder or <laughs> misery or drugs or something, right? Yeah. You are not, you're going to be completely unable to write this if you're worrying about your children reading it or your grandma. So you kill them in meaning you just, you know, let your desk be a world where those people do not exist. They do not need to read your thing. They're not going to read your thing. They're not going to judge your thing. Nobody is seeing your thing that you care about. And truthfully, my grandma never read a single book of mine ever. She was just very happy to see my name on the cover of the book. She did not need to read it. I told her she did not need to read it and everything was fine. So this can actually happen in real life without murdering your grandma. But you really cannot write your full self if in your head all those people that you care about are judging your sensitive, weird thoughts. Yeah. 
So kill them off. Um, and my last piece of advice, I think, is just... Like, I am rewriting my books 15 to 25 times. Wow. Everything is rewritten over and over and over. Um, Sometimes, I mean, it's not always, you know, I've gotten to the end and now I start again and I do that start again 25 times. I'm often rewriting the first quarter of the book more than I might be writing the rest of it. You know what I mean? But I am pulling out... Um, big chunks, putting in new things, changing characters, eliminating characters, changing over to present tense, moving back to past tense, restructuring the whole thing in in Scrivener. And it really, I mean, I'm really not exaggerating when I say like 15 times at least. Um, and I think that a lot of people think that they write their rough draft and then they do a revision and then they're done. And I think that is the difference between, you know, like when I was in college, uh, I took one creative writing class. I managed to sort of bypass introduction to creative writing um, and and write a short story that got me into this advanced narrative writing class. And it was the most miserable thing because I was like the worst person in the class and the teacher let me know it all the time. And the other students didn't think much of me either. And they were all like, better than me and a lot of them seemed like they were going to be amazing literary stars and you know it was just you know awful it was not an encouraging situation <laughs> and um and uh you know 45 books later here i am yeah right yeah and the difference between me and those people was absolutely not raw talent because they clearly, you know, at least as, you know, college juniors had a lot more raw talent than I did, a lot more style, a lot more insight, a lot more command of fictional conventions and, and, and techniques and a lot more to say and just a lot more of whatever that is, that uh, ineffable something. The difference between me and them is that my books are finished, mm. that I wrote my whole book and I rewrote it 15 times, and then I rewrote it again for the editor, maybe another six times. It's it's a nose to the grindstone thing. You know what I mean? I was determined to learn this craft. I was determined to get better at it. And I think I really didn't start with anything more than anybody else. And in fact, less than a lot of people in that creative writing class in terms of, you know, whatever that raw material of, of fiction making is. Do the work. Brilliant. That is uh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Emily. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Um, And thank you for being so generous with your tips and your experiences. And I hope that everyone has a crack at again, again, because it's certainly, um, I'm certainly enjoying it. And it's been a really interesting, um, interesting journey in many different ways for me. So I hope it goes gangbusters for you. Thank you. Well, uh, let me know what you think of the ending. I will. I will. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Thanks so much. There we go. Emily Lockhart. Cool. Mm, Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Um, And all the way from Brooklyn. All the way from Brooklyn. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, where she's struggling with a lot of, as as many Um, people are, with a lot of, mm. you know, difficult things. But, um, yeah, like, look, I thought it was a really interesting chat. I very much enjoyed it. Like, it's, you know, she's a very thoughtful, uh, thoughtful writer, obviously. And I honestly, like, having read again and again, and then, you know, I, I was trying to fathom how you would, 
you know, come up with the structure and, and put it all together. So it was really interesting to hear how she, how she made that work. Mm, brilliant. So what are you doing in the coming week, Al? Oh, working on how to write a middle grade course. Yeah. <laughs> now, now that I've made myself accountable and told you I'm doing it, I better get on with it, right? Um, no, I don't know. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. The school holidays are, are you know, coming at me at, at pace, so I'll need to um, give some thought to how I best manage my time over the next couple of weeks. And you, what, what will you be doing? What will I be doing? Um, well, we have a course coming up with the fabulous uh, Tim Harris, who is um, – uh, an excellent author and he mm. is doing uh so he's a middle grade author but this um uh course is for adults on writing humor for kids so mm. if you're an adult who wants to write funny stories for kids mm. um yeah there's a fantastic course coming up from tim harris so more about that soon excellent all right where do we find you online al you will find me at alisontate.com go and have a look <laughs> you will find me <laughs> Go and have a look immediately. You will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer and you will find me on Twitter at at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. So I look forward to seeing you on the socials. What about you, yes. Val? You'll find me find you? at, at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. And, of course, you'll find all of the show notes at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>